Hello and welcome to the United Launch Alliance Vulcan Centaur podcast. I'm Derek Brecken and I'll be your host over the course of this series as we sit down with the team bringing ULA's newest rocket to life. Hi, I'm John Reed, United Launch Alliance Chief Technologist. I was technical fellow for guidance, nav, and control, and then senior technical fellow for that. And what I was observing was the need for a broader technologist role. And it's interesting because it's not just the technology, it's also the workforce, right? You can have a cool, great gadget, but if you don't know how to use it or incorporate it onto the rocket, then it's not going to do you any good. In my observation, ran into a number of issues in the Vulcan development where we had a great idea, but we really couldn't figure out a way to bring it to fruition, if you will. And so it's all been about how do we see what the future needs are going to be and set ourselves on a path to get there when we need to be at a level of maturity where we can actually incorporate it into designs and things like that. So a lot of the responsibility is kind of uh, being the realist on the team and, 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 yeah. and, and saying, okay, this is maybe <laughs> a, a more of a timeline that we can be on or, or this is more of the roadmap that we should be following. And, and part of it has been... I kind of spread across all the different areas. So I work with BD, I work with advanced programs. What is the process like from your team or from your end, working with the customers and kind of figuring out how we take an idea that they might have or, or a mission that they might have and then bringing that into reality? Yeah, so at, at this point, it's really in a state of flux and evolving. Um, one of the things that I've been doing is changing the nature of the technical fellows program. So we're in the process right now of interviewing candidates to roll out the new version of tech fellows. Part of the reason for that is we really need them to be more strategic focused, but also business focused. I need those individuals then to be both looking at what are the cool technologies that can meet a mission need, but also can be done at a cost effective price point. And so it's really finding that balance that's been kind of the challenge. And so now I'm trying to move from being kind of me out there trying to understand what the customer needs are going to be and shaping the path forward with advanced programs to say, we're going to have a whole cadre of technical fellows who are focused within their domains. How do we move to new product lines, new ventures, new market space? Walk me through a little bit of uh, the work that you've done on Vulcan specifically. So most of the work that I've been doing on Vulcan is focused on the CAT-C and the next generation avionics suite. With my background in GN and C, I've been trying to help shape the new capabilities and how we blend things. Historically, rockets do inertial navigation where you've got gyros and excels and you tell it what the location is and orientation is on the pad and it just walks its way up from there. With a recent innovation that we've got is our blended nav or enhanced nav solution where we're taking the GPS information like you have on your phone and incorporating it through a filter into the flight computer solution. What that really does is then change the whole nature of how you do analysis of how accurate you're going to be, what errors you need to accommodate, what things could go wrong, and how you want to respond to that. And so we've developed that new solution for Atlas for CAT-C, what we want to do is not just take that solution, but also be able to say, if I've got a GPS solution, what could I back off on and reduce the cost of the integrated system? And so it's been a whole new set of analysis and thought process and churn in how do you design a new system that really is 
no longer just a single string solution, but really a hybrid architecture. Can we back up for a little bit for anybody Uh listening who might not be familiar with the term Cat C? What does that refer to on the the so for for Vulcan? We have uh, category A B missions that are the baseline capabilities that are basically taking Atlas and Delta forward in the current incarnation of of Vulcan. For Cat C. Category C, there were a set of missions that were really a step ahead of where we were currently at and what we would need to do to go change and improve the performance of the stage, both in mass to orbit as well as accuracy and other system parameters to provide better value to the customer, SMC, Air Force, Space Force, NRO, in terms of our ability to launch those highest value payloads that they have. Um, one of the things that we're looking at with CAT-C is the ability to do two separate payloads. Um, and then what that allows you to do is say, I'm going to provide each of them a little bit different orbit. They both have to be going to the same general location just because the delta V or the amount of energy you need to get out of the stage is so large. You really can't do a big change. Part of what we're looking out in the five, 10 years from now is saying, what system changes could we make or what new products could we have that would give us much more flexibility in terms of what we drop off where and where else we go? Is it typically the customer bringing a mission or an idea that they have to ULA and saying, this is the capability we think we need, or is it, we've got this new feature here at ULA, this is something we think you might benefit from? So that's been part of the evolution. I think part of the big pivot there has been having Tori focused on what really is that next generation of marketplace that we hope to have. And so now being able to think not just five years from now, but 30 years from now, about what we would like to see in the market, we can then walk our way back and say, well, what should we have five years from now and 10 years from now to really put ourselves on that path? That said, we've also had workshops where we're talking about what are the possible future states that the whole industry and really the world could end up in. So where you've got China contesting space, where you've got Russia doing their things, what would be the right path to put ourselves on to really stay dominant and drive the commercial aspects of space rather than ceding it to the Chinese or somebody else in controlling and setting the norms? Another interesting or exciting thing I think that um, is Entering this space is the possibility of a cis lunar economy in the future. Is this mm-hmm. something that plays into the work that you are? Oh yeah, uh, looking very at right much. Now? It's it's actually played into a number of different things. When right now we have a NASA technology demonstration mission called Lofted that is going to test out hypersonic inflatable decelerator technologies for bringing our engines back to ground to the ground from space. For our perspective. It's also a technology NASA wants to be able to bring large masses to Mars. When we first started talking with them about that tech demo mission and trying to figure out a way to partner it with some other mission, one of the things we looked at was, um, let's just say, we were looking to partner them with a commercial company that has interest in producing something in space and bringing it back. And so we were off talking to commercial companies that are interested in doing production in space partnering them as a secondary mission with the tech demo mission to see if we can package that together uh, to meet both their needs and NASA needs and our needs on a single launch service. One of the biggest benefits from Vulcan seems to be the ability to launch multiple payloads. You've talked about this a little bit. Um, How does the process of partnering 
different companies or, or different organizations together typically work? Is that something that fits in your purview or? Um, it depends. Short answer. A typical secondary payload, that's really going to be packaged up by somebody else. We have commercial auxiliary payload integrating contractors. We've got the Air Force with their multi-mission manifest office. Um, and so you've got a couple different groups that are really looking to put together those small things. Where I get to play is if there's a larger secondary mission that has benefit to ULA, trying to help find that partnership to be able to pair them with another payload to get the price point for access to space down to what is affordable. Where would you point to if you had to say this has been the biggest cost savings benefit of a Vulcan? Um, I think what I would point to is the single stick nature of it. Just the cost of doing not just three body, but the complexity of the whole pad infrastructure and everything really starts to give you a different math equation. That said, there are scenarios where you'd be better off with a three body system. That's still in the trade space out in the future. Um, so I don't want to be discounting that because there are certain markets where that's of much value. Um, but the ability to say, I'm going to incrementally increase that performance has really been part of the strength of the Atlas line. And we're trying to make sure that that same strength is there in the Vulcan line as well. And, and I think we're also building on incremental success on the current fleet. So flying the Gem 63s before we fly the Gem 63 XL is just part of that mindset of how do you cost effectively evolve the system to still get the, that incremental cost benefit. Now, one of the things that a lot of people haven't understood was the EELB program, when we were awarded and stood up, had one of the constraints being we had to reduce cost 5% a year every year for the first five years. Not only did we exceed that, we continued it on for a decade. And so we've been driving costs down on the Atlas side of the fleet Delta's been harder because they don't have the same rate. They don't have the same infrastructure cost. Having both those variants did impact their cost structure. But for, for the Atlas side, we were able to continue that cost reduction profile. Really, you get to a point where it's going to asymptote out. So it's going to slow down the, the cost improvement year on year. And so you need some kind of a major redesign to drive more cost out and reset yourself down that curve. And that's really what Vulcan was able to do for us. I want to go back to the uh, the workshops and, and mm -hmm. uh, sitting down with customers because I think that that's something that our audience will find really interesting is that, again, so there's this, you said a piece of it is there's a mission that they have that they want to achieve and then there's the market as it exists with the technology available at that time and your job is to look beyond that in, in a lot of ways. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what does the homework look like when you go home from one of those workshops? <laughs> <laughs> um, the homework is insane. Um, so I think part of it is being able to take a step from what you've got today and see a future state that you could reach out to. It always has to be something where you're not comfortable with saying, I can do this, but you think you have a way to get there. So it's really being anchored in the fundamentals of what makes us a profitable company but also be able to say, what are other people doing? So part of the homework is really researching what's going on in China, what's going on in competitors, what's going on in the customer marketplace to start to understand what capabilities we could reach out and pull in and where we need to actually step ahead and help move the market forward. 
Um, I think part of it too is understanding what issues the customer is facing. So a lot of it in the military side, it's all about threats, be it congested space, contested space. For the science missions, it's about what are going to be the next set of capabilities that they need to bring to bear to go solve questions and problems? And what do those needs do to the services we provide? Um, one of the instances that was re we recently found was in pairing JPSS2 with the lofted payload. JPSS2 is the next generation of NOAA satellite. It has instruments that are facing the ground and are unfortunately facing towards Centaur that are sensitive to two angstroms of silicone. My inflatable structure is 35 pounds of silicone. <laughs> and so now I, we had to go through an exercise, not me, thankfully. <laughs> uh, but the team went through an exercise to figure out how do we keep any of that outgassing from coming up and depositing on that instrument. And we were able to show the process and convince the customer that we were going to keep their payload pristine and fine for operations. Um, but it's those kinds of things where you need to understand what they're trying to accomplish to know what is that going to do to the services you provide to get them where they need to go. So as, the, as you're building this technical fellowship program here at ULA, uh, you mentioned some of the categories. Can you talk a little bit more about what spaces you're looking to to we do go through a business need evaluation. Um, I think that's been one of the bigger changes I've made to the program. The original one was where do we have experts that the customer recognizes are experts? And so that was what we were trying to create with the Tech Fellow program when it first was created. Now we're looking at what does the future hold for us and what are the domains where we need expertise, whether we have it today or not, so that we're actually mindfully developing the skill set that we have to have to be able to compete for years ahead. So one of the most impactful events that I've been part of was the LRO L-Cross mission. And that's for two reasons. One, that was a mission that we actually had pitched something to NASA similar to it. They came back with the L-Cross mission and said, what would you do to make this happen? And so part of our proposal was to fly the LRO mission, which was a lunar orbiter, but with it fly the LCROSS shepherding spacecraft that was then going to turn our upper stage into an impactor on the South Pole. The challenge there was you are taking a spent stage and looking for water. My tanks have hydrogen and oxygen, which are the elements of water. <laughs> My foam on the outside of the upper stage was sitting in the atmosphere at the Cape, which is fairly humid. <laughs> um, there's batteries, there's all kinds of constituent components that also have either hydrogen and, or oxygen in them. And so you're trying to say, how do I take my spent stage and condition it so that I can use that as a lump of metal that's going to hit and throw up water. And I'll know that all that water they saw was actually on the moon and not just little bits and dregs left in my system. So A, that was an incredibly challenging program. Um, and I got the privilege, I would say, of being able to step up. And instead of operating down in the mud and figuring out the guidance and nav piece of it, going, here are the challenges that we have. How can we go dry out the foam? How can we make sure the tanks are fully empty? And all of those required a change in how we thought about the analysis that we do. 
Um, and so it was really kind of a fun, challenging way of getting to know the whole system and what the limits are and what we could do differently to achieve customer needs. The flip to that is go forward five years and see what that has meant to industry to say, we now know there is water and a lot of it. And so getting to start to have those conversations about how do we move from knowing there's water to having a sustainable economy where you say, I'm going to go gather water on the moon, create propellant so I can move things to other places. So then I have the ability to go to near earth objects and be able to mine that. So I've got the materials to be able to build things. So now I've got all of the industrial metals. I've got all of the water. I've got breathable atmosphere. I've got propulsion. I've got solar power energy. So it's like you start to have all the pieces and parts to be able to cobble together this whole econosphere. That is so cool. <laughs> and I was just going to ask you too, you know, you, to be on the cutting edge of an industry that's so cutting edge and to be opening up a potential new econosphere, uh -huh. <laughs> as you said, I mean, what are you most excited about seeing happen in the next 10 years, next five years? So I, to be honest, the thing I'm most excited about is seeing the excitement and growing just the energy behind it. Um, one of the fun things about my job is I get to talk to lots of people. Um, and so I'm talking to young professionals. I'm talking to college students. I'm talking to mid-career. I'm talking to graybeards like myself. Um, and it's all just kind of wrapping our heads around what are the challenges? What can each of us do to move things forward? Where there are so many piece parts in so many places you can get engaged and find some really challenging and fun problems to go tackle that it's really got this whole groundswell of energy behind it for a really bright future for humanity and space. Thanks for listening to United Launch Alliance's Vulcan Centaur series. In the next episode, we'll hear from ULA's upper stage integrated product team leader within the major development program, Amanda Bacchetti, as we continue our discussion on what it takes to design solutions for the nation's most critical needs. If you'd like to stay up to date with ULA news and events, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ULA Launch.